It's, um, it's a blessing to see, as uh, Pastor Ryan said, to see some of you um, fathers here by yourselves. Uh, in the first service, we have a lot of uh, young, uh, young families and a lot of young fathers were here by their kids, but some were missing. Uh, some uh, couldn't find uh, the energy to get their kids ready and bring them to church, but uh, it's not easy. Uh, I remember those days when I was first a pastor. We had a, a women's retreat, and we weren't a large church, but about half of our congregation was going to be God that Sunday. And I challenged the young fathers to come to church, be at church on time, and bring your kids. Yeah, don't leave them at home, right? Bring your kids. And so I challenged them, and so as they were coming, this was back in 1978, uh, as they were coming, I was congratulating them for being there. I had gotten my kids there, uh, so why shouldn't they be able to? And, and one guy, Rick Elward, he was a great guy. He had two little girls, a four-year-old and a two-year-old. And he came and said, look, Dwayne, I did it. You know, I got him here. And I said, oh, that's amazing. Uh, until I realized that the two-year-old didn't have a diaper on and she kind of wet right in the narthex, you know. So, so. But, but you guys did better than that. I think your kids are all tucked away nicely in the Sunday school room and uh, but it's not hard. So women, we honor you mothers who do this all the time because uh, it's not easy. Well, we are welcoming each and every one of you to the series entitled The Abundant Life, The Blessed Life. Now, how is it that you live this blessed life? Uh, we ask that question. Uh, we attend a small group at uh, Robin Carey Bennett's house. And uh, Rob, one of the questions he asked us was... Um, how do you know that you live a blessed, abundant life? And at first, we all kind of looked at each other and said, that's not an easy question to answer. Because the first thing you think of is, well, stuff. Okay, well, I've got a good house and a good car, and, you know, I've got a smartphone. And you start thinking, but you say, well, that's not what God's talking about. And finally, we got around to just kind of really identifying how and why we were blessed and abundant. And that's what I want you to experience. By the end of this series, in uh, six more weeks, I want each of you to be able to say and declare, listen, I am blessed and highly favored, and here's why. Now, last week, we talked about the fact that you are blessed and highly favored because you have been invited into the kingdom of God. You've been invited into the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Jesus, in the Beatitudes, Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, and then verses uh, chapter 6 and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, stood before 5,000 people, and he expressed to them the Beatitudes. And in that, he told them who was going to be invited to God's party. And God's party has all kinds of blessings. It has eternal life. It has forgiveness of sins. It has an amazing life that matters and that is significant and substantial. It has all of those things. So anybody that was invited to God's party was really blessed and highly favored. So as they gathered, uh, the, the, the people thought, now I wonder who's going to be invited to this party. Certainly, it'll be the religious, right? Pharisees, Sadducees, uh, the scribes. Certainly, it'll be the educated. Certainly, it'll be the religious, the people who go to church every Sunday, give their tithes. Certainly, it'll be all those people. But instead of all the people that they thought would be invited to the party, none of them were invited to the party, but others were. And Jesus begins by saying, blessed, remember divine favor, divine favor, blessed are the poor in spirit. Really? You mean those who have broken hearts can be invited to God's party? Really? Blessed are those who mourn. I mean, those who are sad and they don't have their life all together and, and difficult things are happening in their lives, they're invited to the party. And he goes on one after another. 
all of the Beatitudes. And he said, you and you and you and you are invited to God's party. Not because you are great, but because you are broken. In the Beatitudes, it doesn't describe how you live a blessed life. It describes who lives a blessed life. And it's all of those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Not those who have stuff, but those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. So you are blessed to be in the kingdom of God. You are blessed to be in God's family. Today I would like to talk to you about a heart of serving. Never are God's people more blessed than when they bless others. Never are God's children more more receiving of this divine favor than when they serve God and serve each other. So you are blessed to have a heart of serving. The text that I've selected to uh, share this uh, news with you about is probably the classic chapter on what it means to be a servant. It's John chapter 13. And those of you who are familiar with the Bible are familiar with this concept. And it's the time when Jesus washed the feet of the disciples. So I'm going to ask you, if you have your Bibles with you, to turn to John chapter 13. If you have your iPads or your smartphones or any device that has the Bible on it, that's all good. Now, also we assume that, we don't assume that everybody that comes to church knows how to read the Bible or where to find things. So here, here, here's a tip. Don't be embarrassed to look on the table of contents, okay? I don't want you stuck in Leviticus while the rest of us are in John, okay? So do whatever you need to do to find John. Chapter 13, verses 3 through 17. This is the Word of God for the people of God. And before we read this, I want to say to you what? That was very weak. Where's Carrie Bennett? Carrie, come on. What are we supposed to do? There you go. You're supposed to read your Bible. And uh, the reason you read your Bible is because it is relevant it is transformational. It is God's holy word. It is God breathed his life into a book. That's the word of God. It will transform your life. So read your Bibles. This is John chapter 13, verses 3 through 17. This is the word of, the God, this is the word of God for the people of God today. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he's already predicting his uh, soon to be crucified uh, experience, right? So he got up from the table, he's gathered there with the disciples, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm, going to, what I'm doing, but someday you will. Listen to what Peter said. No, Peter protested, you will never wash my feet. Little pride thing going on there. You will never wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, <coughs> excuse me, unless I wash you, let me find my spot now, uh, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and head as well. Lord, not just my feet, Jesus replied, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash, except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you, referring there to Judas, right? For Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, 
Not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing things for doing this. There's that word, blessed. Blessed. Jesus says, now, now that you know what I did and why I, did, I washed your feet, I'm instructing you to do the same to others, right? So, and he said, if you do that, you will live a blessed life. You will be blessed. Now, early on, he, gives the, he shows the difference between knowing something and doing something. You can know something. You can be smart. You can be educated. You can be f- informed. You know something. But to be blessed, you have to do something. You have to take that knowledge and apply it. Jesus said, you saw what I did to you. Now I want you to to do it. Excuse me. And so here's Jesus, walks into this room of these disciples. All of them are there arguing over who is going to be at the right hand of Jesus in heaven. Now, you've all walked into a room when uh, somebody's been talking about you or they've been talking about something controversial and all of a sudden everybody goes, uh, they stop talking and I'm sure Jesus said, uh, you know, what's up guys? You know, what's going on? And, and here's the first thing that Jesus noticed. And there's a couple of things in this text that I want you to, uh, to, to see. The first thing is that um, Jesus was aware of the room. Uh, now the other disciples, all of them had come into the room all of them had noted that there's no servant. They'd noted that there's no host. This was a rented upper room. There was a towel and basin there. And it was protocol in the ancient Near East that uh, you always wash the feet of guests. Because they're, in a few minutes, they're going to be eating around a table. And here's the way the table was. The table was very low, maybe a foot off of the ground. And then you had pillows, and you kind of reclined around the table. So you're kind of head to foot, head to foot. Well, who wants to be, have your head at the foot of somebody who's been walking 30 miles in the dust, right? So it was very important that there was somebody there to wash their feet. Jesus noticed immediately that no one had washed anyone's feet. Now, where were the disciples in this? How aware were they? Well, here's what they were doing. They were arguing, especially James and John and Peter, They were arguing over who is going to have the prime place in heaven. Who's going to be next to Jesus in heaven? Now, they all agree that Jesus was number one, right? But what they wanted to know is who's going to be number two? (laughs) Who's going to be his right-hand guy? Now, on earth, Peter was kind of a bully and was kind of moving his way into being the number two guy, you know, in the disciples. But who's going to be number two in heaven? So John, the youngest, very sweet man, but very committed, was arguing. James, the half-brother of Jesus, Peter, the big cheese, they were all arguing who's going to be there. And they were so intent on their own needs that none of them noticed that nobody washed their feet. In fact, they probably argued about it, right? So, I mean, John probably said, you know what, Peter, you should wash the feet because, you know, you've got control issues and you should be doing that. And somebody said, no, no, uh, Thomas should wash the feet because we all know how that he 
doubts everything. And then somebody said, no, it should be Bartholomew because Bartholomew doesn't have a book in the Bible and nobody knows who he is and cares. And so Bartholomew should... So everybody's saying everybody else and nobody pays attention to the room, only pays attention to their own needs. Awareness. Really the first part of having a heart that serves the Lord is being aware. Being aware of other people's needs. Being aware of what they're going through. Not just so stuck on your own life and your own stuff that you're aware of what's happening. You're aware of what's happening in the church. You're aware of what's happening in the world. You're aware of what's happening at your school or your job or wherever you are. You're aware of what's happening and you're always ready to meet that need. And so Jesus picks up the towel in the basin and basically he says this. He says, I'll do it. I'll serve you. I'll do what obviously no one else seemed to know they should think they should do. I will serve you because I love you that much. So awareness was really a key issue. Another thing in this text that really matters is timing. Now, remember, this is just a couple of days. This is probably happening on Thursday, what we call Monday, Thursday. Friday, uh, he was crucified. Sunday, he was resurrected. So the timing really mattered about Jesus' message to the disciples. Because here's the deal. As soon as Jesus is gone, 40 days after he's resurrected, he disappears. He goes into heaven to be with his father. So Jesus is no longer, longer around. So the gospel message, the good news of Christ's love and his death and burial and resurrection for your sins and for mine, the good news of the gospel was going to be spread by these 12 men. Actually, 11 because Judas wasn't part of it. Later, Matthias was added. These 12 men, the gospel is going to be spread. And here's the deal. Nobody can spread the gospel with anything other than the delivery system of love. A lot of people try yelling at people, preaching out you know, loud and being angry. A lot of people say you should and they point fingers and all that. None of that works. Jesus said the only delivery system for the gospel is love. Love God, love people. Love your brothers as yourself. Love your enemy. That's what Jesus' constant message was. This was the delivery system, is love and sacrifice and service. And so if these guys don't get it, the timing is very important. If these guys don't get this message, who's going to deliver the good news of Jesus Christ after I'm gone? Timing. A few, uh, a couple months ago now, I think it was October, we were over visiting uh, Sherry's mom and dad in La Mesa, which is a suburb of San Diego. And they had a street fair. It might have been an Oktoberfest uh, or something like that. But it was all the booths and everything. All downtown La Mesa was shut down. And so we were walking through that. And sure enough, right in the middle of all the activity are about 10 bullhorn guys. You know what I mean? Bullhorn guys. The guys that have the bullhorns that are shouting, you know, loving, godly things like turn or burn, you know, repent or, 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 or die in hell, you know, you know, nice things like that. And, and they were yelling and they had their signs and they were waving and they were accosting people. And here, here's what I observed. I kind of sat back and watched this. Not one person that I saw in about 20 minutes of observing, not one person interacted with them or listened to them or did anything. If anything, they went clear around the other end of the street to get away from them. You see, we are called to deliver the message with a heart of humility, a heart of love, and a heart of service. If we have any other way of delivering the gospel, it will not be heard. Jesus knew that, and he knew how important the timing was. These guys had to get this right. So um, 
not long ago, uh, well, actually, it was uh, quite a few years ago now, uh, there's a popular Christian artist by the name of Lincoln Brewster, very outstanding. Um, he had gone through a rough time in his life, had crashed and burned badly, and was just starting to come back. And he had been a very powerful singer, musician, songwriter, worship leader, but he'd lost all that. And he came back to a, ch a small church in Sacramento area, and he asked if he could serve in the ministry. Now, they didn't know who he was. They didn't know how talented he was. They didn't know how good he was. And they said, I'd just like to serve anyway in the ministry of music. And they said, sure. After service, you can sweep the floors. He said, okay. I'd love to do that. He did that for about a year. That's how he served. No one knew how, how dynamic he was, how good he was. But with a heart of humility, he came and said, listen, whatever I can do, I will do. He didn't have to be the big cheese. He didn't have to be the big gun. He didn't have to be one of the people up on the stage. He said, I just want to serve you. Because if you don't have a heart of service and humility, God will humble you. Let me give you some examples from my own life. So when I was in uh, uh, high school, I was asked to teach, because nobody else would, three sixth grade boys Sunday school class. Okay, I'm like 15 years old. And nobody else will do this. They, they burned through about four other teachers. And Pastor Woodhouse said, Dwayne, would you teach these three boys on Sunday mornings? And he said, you know, try and get a little bit of Jesus in them, but just try and keep them from not killing somebody. You know, that was your main job. You know? And so I did that, and I told them stories, and, and they, they were smarter than I was. too. That's another thing. They knew more about the Bible than I did, and so they're always correcting me. And it was just miserable, and I was miserable. And I, I said, I, Lord, you know, I've, I've got big things I want to do. In fact, when I was in high school, Pastor Woodhouse said, I think you should be a preacher. And I remember having a dream. And my dream was that I was at a, Billy Graham had just been to San Diego. And my dream was that the Billy Graham crusade, Billy Graham got a cold. And so they didn't know what to do. So they called me. I was 17. You know, I really had it all together. They said, Dwayne, come on up here. You know, there's 60,000 people here that want to hear the gospel. You're the guy, you know. And so, so, I, and so here I am teaching sixth grade boys Sunday school. And then when I was a freshman in college, uh, I was asked to preach my very first sermon. It was at the City Rescue Mission. So uh, about 80 partially to completely inebriated men in this place. And I'm going to preach to them. And the, re the only way they get a meal that night is if they listen to the preaching. That's the way the old school did it. It's back in the 60s. And so I get up there. I put all of my knowledge and all my theology and all my Bible knowledge into one 11-minute talk. And that's all I had. And so I started preaching, and I was nervous, and right in the middle of it, some guy in the back stood up and said, you're full of you-know-what, just like that. Everybody just kind of was shocked, especially me. Pastor Woodhouse said, just keep preaching, just keep preaching. But here, here's the deal. I didn't want to keep preaching. I did, but I didn't want to, and I'll tell you why. Because I kind of thought the guy was right. I, re I really did. I said, what right do I have to stand up here? He said, I, God has a way of humbling you. You know, he always has a way of me. And then my first church, I was 29 years old, uh, Mount McGill Covenant Church, brand new pastor, just out of seminary. And my staff consisted of a part-time secretary and an 83-year-old retired covenant pastor by the name of Rudy Johnson that wasn't paid anything. That was my staff. And I was fired up to have that staff. And so I said, Rudy, let's have a staff meeting my first Monday morning there. So we get in there, and for 30 minutes, I just lay out all of my grand ideas and my plans. This is how we're going to turn the world upside down. We're going to win Spring Valley for Jesus. And after about 30 minutes, Rudy said, uh, Dwayne, do you mind if I say something? Oh, no, go ahead. It's your turn to talk. I've been talking. He said, I just think we should pray. <laughs> and he turned around, got on his knees, 
And so I'm scrambling out of my big pastor chair, you know, trying to find my way to my knees. And, and we just started praying. You know, if you think you're a big cheese, <laughs> God has a way of always humbling you. Now, what does that mean? These disciples were so in tune with their own needs that they forgot about the needs of others. They forgot about how to serve other people. So here's the question I want to ask you this morning. How is your heart to serve? How is your heart to serve? Does your heart beat for the cause of Christ? Does your heart beat for the lost? You see, we, we do this big deal on Easter. We're the only church in the valley that doesn't have church at their church building on Easter Sunday. We take it to the community. We take it to Tumbleweed Park. At great human effort and great cost, we go and we do that service. Now, why? Because I have this vision of preaching before a Billy Graham crusade? No. I'll tell you, we do it for one reason and one reason only. When we do it, every time we do a, a, a service there, there are 20 to 30 or more people that raise their hands and said, I prayed to receive Christ. And hear, hear, hear this. We will do anything to reach one more for Christ. At any cost, under any circumstances, we will do anything anything to reach one more for Christ. It's about having a heart of humility, a heartbeat that beats for the lost, that beats for the cause of Christ. So let's look at what Jesus did. And what we find here in this story in John 13 is that Christ gives us a, a pathway to blessing, kind of a new way, because you, you need a pathway to, in order to follow a new trail, you follow this trail, that doesn't work. To follow a new trail towards blessing because blessing's not over here. Blessing isn't in things or relationships. But a blessing over here, if you want God's blessing, you have to follow this path. So there's three things that we see that Jesus did that he experienced this kind of a pathway to blessing. The first thing he did was Jesus stood up. He was at the table, having a meal, all having a good time, chatting. Jesus was telling him, you know, pretty soon, <laughs> a couple of days, I'm going to go and I'm going to be crucified. You guys aren't getting that. You're not feeling me. And he was telling, and, 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 but he stood up. He stood up from the table. He went over, took the, the pail and the towel, the basin and the towel, and he began to wash the feet of the disciples. Too many people in church today and too many Christians in the world, even those that don't go to church, are constantly sitting and receiving and not enough of us are standing up. He stood up. He was ready to go. He was ready to serve. He was ready to get his hands dirty. Now, I recognize that all of us need, there are times in our lives when we need to rest. We need to sit and to soak, to receive God's love and his mercy. I understand that completely. But there is a time when we say, okay, I've received God's mercy. I've re he served me by dying on the cross for my sins. I am now ready to stand up and to serve the years I was out of the ministry, 97, 98, 99, um, I was, my ordination was taken away from me. I wasn't able to preach or teach, so I, I worked a secular job, and then we decided uh, we couldn't go to our former church, so where do we go to church? So we started going to the Church of the Open Door in St. Paul, and uh, David Johnson was a friend of mine. He was a great preacher, and we started going there, and we started, we just, we, we sat we, we, were, we were the people that came to church every Sunday, very faithful. 
We'd write our check, our tithe check. We'd do all, but we sat. We didn't really do anything. We didn't get involved. We didn't do any ministry. After about six weeks, Sherry and I looked at each other and said, you know what? This isn't working for us. We know what it takes to run a church. We know what it takes to get your hands dirty. And, and we know what it takes to pull off a Sunday morning or an Easter at the park or whatever. And we decided right then and there that we couldn't just sit. We had to serve. Why? Because Christ served us. He served us with the ultimate gift of his death on the cross for our sins. Because he served us, we had to serve others. So we started, we still went to Church of the Open Door at 8 o'clock on Sunday mornings. And then we'd drive over to Cottage Grove and go to a covenant church there. A friend of mine was the pastor. And we'd serve there. And it was amazing and we loved it. In fact, we did things that we've never been able to do together because I'm a pastor. One summer, we taught second grade vacation Bible school. Now, Sherry will tell you that's one of the greatest experiences of her life. I'll tell you, that was miserable for me. I wasn't very good with seven-year-olds, you know. I, I just, you know but we served, and we served. You know, what, do you, what do you need? I, we tell the pastor, what do you need? How can we serve? Do you need the fl floor swept? Uh, do you want us to teach second grade? Uh, what can we do to help? How can we serve? That's the kind of heart that Jesus wants for each and every one of us because that's the kind of heart he had for those who were lost and those who were broken. Jesus stood up. Let me serve. I'm ready to go. But here's the second thing that Jesus did. Jesus stooped down. As soon as he stood up from the table, he reached down, he got the towel in the basin, and he stooped down and he began to wash their feet. Now, imagine this. Twelve men, besides Jesus, 24 feet, let's say at foot 17, 18. What does that water look like? What does that towel that he has been drying their feet with look like? This is a man, Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, the creator of the heavens and the earth, stooped down to minister, to bless his disciples. And he said, because you've seen what I've done, you've seen what I've done, how I've served you, he said, I want you to serve others. He stooped down. When was the last time that you stooped down to serve? The brokenhearted, the lonely, the lost, the different the sinner, the person who is, doesn't matter, that doesn't count in the world, when was the last time that you stooped down to minister to them? Jesus saw some commotion. The Pharisees had identified a woman who had committed adultery. They took her out in the street as the Mosaic law allowed for. And there's 10 or 12 men standing around her, most of them religious leaders, Pharisees, etc. And according to Moses' law, they were able to pick up one stone each, and those stones were not small. They were anywhere from a half to a pound each, these stones. And the idea was, because she was uh, uh, an adulteress, uh, they were going to stone her to death. And they would just simply, one after another, throw a stone at her head or wherever until she was dead. As they were about ready to begin, Jesus came over, break, broke into the circle, and he looked around and he said, uh, the, one of, any one of you, doesn't matter who, any one of you that has no sin in his life, that has not done anything wrong in his life, any one of you, that's the person I want to throw the first stone. They all backed away. They all stood there. And then what did Jesus do? He stooped down. Now, people would think that, well, you know, she was an adulteress. And if God's going to show her grace, she's got to stand up. No, Jesus stooped down. He said, I don't condemn you. He said, I don't 
he, he would have said this. He said, I don't agree with your lifestyle, but I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. I'm not blessing your sin, but I'm blessing you. And he lifted her up. He stooped down and he lifted her up. Mother Teresa, who did so much work in Calcutta, India, among the lepers, after one terrible day where she ministered to person after person, men, women, children, just filled with this dread disease of leprosy with pieces of their skin and their flesh falling off and they were stinking and they were dirty and they were filthy. And after she ministered to them all day, someone asked her, how can you do that? It is so disgusting. It is so awful. How can you minister to those people? And she said, it's simple. Every person I see, man, woman, or child, when I look at them, I see the face of Jesus. It's very simple, she said. I see the face of Jesus. When are we going to begin stooping down to care for those who are lost and broken? In February of 1990, um, our son Tyler had been killed in 1989, uh, uh, October of 1989. So it was just a few months after. We had our midwinter conference in Denver that year. And I didn't go to the conference uh, to be with my friends and to go to the sessions and to worship God. I went there to get away from my family. Um, I was so tired of listening to Sherry cry herself to sleep every night. I was so tired of going down to Nathan's school because he had gotten in another fight at school. I was so tired of seeing our 16-year-old daughter go into a shell and not even talk to anybody. And I just wanted to get away. Well, I was at, as I was at the Midwinter Conference, I was in my room by myself. And uh, Mick Murphy, a friend of mine, came to the door, knocked, came on in. He said, are you going down to the service? I said, no, I'm not going to the service. He said, well, what are you going to do? He said, I've, I, I'm watching this hockey game. And, of course, I hate hockey, but it was on television. It was noise. And he said, no, no. And I looked at him like, what do you mean, no? And Mick literally... And I'm a big man. He pulled me off of the bed onto my knees. And he stooped down beside me and he put his hands on me and he prayed that the Holy Spirit would heal me and heal my family and break this, and help this broken heart to be healed. And he stooped down to minister. It's exactly what Jesus does to you. That's exactly what he calls us to do for others. Jesus stood up. Jesus stooped down. And the last thing we see in this remarkable story is that Jesus got messy. Can you imagine? <laughs> yes, you can. The water, the towel, even Jesus' robe after walking all day on the dusty roads and his own feet were dirty and his robe was dirty. And can you imagine how messy it was to wash 24 feet just before you sat down to eat dinner? I remember when I was growing up, uh, we uh, had one bathroom. I had three sisters and myself, and we had one bathroom, no shower, one bathtub, one toilet. That's how we grew up. We didn't know any different. That's how we, in fact, I took most of my showers at school after football practice because I could never get in the bathroom at home with three teenage sisters. But here's the deal. Every Saturday night, we had to take a bath because next day is Lord's Day, right? And you had to wear your best. And, and so we had to take a bath Saturday night, all of us in the same water, 
okay? That's the way we took baths in those days. And I always volunteered. I'll be first. <laughs> I didn't want to be fourth out of, you know, I didn't want my sister's germs and cooties all over me, you know, and all of that. So, uh, you know, but of course, uh, we had to take turns and all of that. But can you imagine how messy that was? How, can you imagine how messy it was with Jesus? Can you imagine how messy it was to deal with this woman that was taken in adultery and now somehow, someway, had to get her life back in order and she couldn't do her, her profession and she had no husband, she had no father, no... How is she supposed to... It's all messy. And God has called us to be in the middle of the mess. So we have a sign out front. In fact, I wrote an article for our... Uh, a blog for uh, the uh, newsletter tomorrow uh, online and uh, about our sign. And you all have heard about the sign. You've seen it. In fact, many of you, that when we talk to you at 10-minute party and pizza with the pastors, we say, how did you come to know Hope Covenant Church? Half of you always say, it was the sign. Okay? Now, granted, it's a dorky sign, and we know it. We've known that all along. But that dorky sign got you in this building so you could hear the good news of Jesus. So in that case, we don't apologize for it. But here's what that sign means. The sign means this. We recognize... Even though a lot of Christ followers don't recognize this, we recognize that we are imperfect. We recognize that we are broken, we are sinful, and except for the grace of God, we have no chance ever of getting into God's party. No chance whatsoever. But by the grace of God, we have that free pass, that field pass we talked about last week, right at the Charger game. We have that field pass. And it's not because we've done anything good. It's because God has done everything for us. And we are there at his behest. We are there at his invitation. We are invited to his party. We recognize that. And so because we have a sign that says no perfect people allowed, we have all kinds of people that come to our church. People that are broken and divorced. People that are addicted and the living alternate lifestyles, and people that are this and that, and, the, and all of them come into our church, and all of them are welcomed here, and all of them, we tell them the good news of God's grace, like any other person, like that woman taken into adultery, we bend down to lift them up and to show them the grace of God. That's what we do. And it's messy. It'd be great to have a 150-year-old church with stained glass windows where I wear a robe and you all wear suits and ties and dresses. Everybody looks good and all spiffy and no one that is broken or imperfect is allowed in the church. That's a church I do not want to be a part of. We are messy. Our church is messy. And God is in the mess with us. This blessed life that God is calling us to this life of his unbelievable, unbelievable favor is a life, a pathway of service. So when is the last time you have stood up and said, let me get my hands dirty. How can I serve? What can I do to help? When is the last time you stooped down? Someone that was broken or lonely after the first service uh, a woman who's going through a divorce, she wanted prayer and anointing. And so we stood up here, a group of us, and we anointed her. And we stooped down and we lifted her up. Now, one day, we are all going to stand before God. And he will ask us one question. This is what the Bible says. And here's the question. What did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with your intellect, your talents, your abilities? What did you do with your time, with your experiences, 
and with your money? How did you spend your life? Were you on a, were you on a pathway of, I'm doing this for me? Or did you follow that pathway that Jesus led us to, a pathway to serving others, of loving God and loving people, delivering the gospel with the only method that Jesus knew, and that was with love and service and humility? Matthew 25, that amazing passage. Sheep and the goats are divided. And then Jesus says, I recognize that some of you have literally given a cup of cold water in my name to someone who is in need. He said, when you have done that, when you've given a cup of cold water to the least of these, someone that is broken, somebody that is down for the count, when you give a cup of water to them, it's like you're giving that cup of water to Jesus. It's exactly what that text means. And a little bit further in Matthew 25, Jesus says, okay, I want you to tell you, because you are blessed and highly favored, because you are invited to the party, because you are blessed to serve, let me tell you what that means. Matthew 25, verse 21. The master was full of praise. <laughs> he sees your life. He sees how you stand up. He sees how you stoop down. He sees how you get messy. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Listen, you are blessed to serve others. Jesus said, now that you know it, do it. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads with me? Father, it's real easy to know what we're supposed to do. <laughs> we, we read this stuff, we read the Bible, we talk about this stuff all the time. And yet, Lord, to actually do it, to actually um, not consider our needs as the most important, to actually consider the needs of another, like it says in Philippians 2, to actually notice when somebody is hurting and broken, to actually stoop down and minister to them, Father, this is what you've called us to do. But you haven't just told us to do it. You've showed us how to do it and with what heart to do it. So, Father, may we as your children take a cue from you, one who stood up from the table to serve, one who stooped down to minister to the least of these, and one who literally got in the middle of our mess for the cause of Christ. May we serve like Jesus. May we serve with our hearts. May we serve with our whole being for the cause of Christ. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious name and all of God's people together said, Amen. 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 Thank you.